0: Welcome back to a new installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. Usually at this time, I'm joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. He's not able to join us uh, this time around because of crossing hairs and that sort of thing, uh, different schedules. But I, I wanted to make sure that we got this guest on the show because he does so well uh, in terms of covering the NBA at large, basketball in general. He's, we've had him on GBB Live in the past uh, to talk about the NBA draft, but he wrote a great piece about the Grizzlies and, and their young core that I wanted to make sure we got to talk to him here for about 30 minutes or so. So uh, we're going to make it work. So shout out to Parker. Sorry you're not with us, but thank you for joining us wherever you may be here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. Of course, you can follow the site that I am very fortunate to be the site manager for, uh, grizzlybearblues.com at SBN Grizzlies. And we're starting our annual hiring process this Friday. So if you've ever wanted to do a podcast, If you've ever wanted to be a writer or an editor for GBB, uh, make sure you're checking out the site Friday for official information on that. Every position that we're offering this time around is paid. So that is a a first for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. In the past, we've had unpaid contributors and that sort of thing. And and we still have those. I don't want to be dishonest. But in terms of hiring this time around, uh, every position that we will be hiring will be a paid position. So that's exciting. Looking forward to that uh again follow us all over social media twitter we're gonna pick up our instagram here in the next few days and it's gonna be great gbb continues to expand um again without further ado i want to get right into our guest and i always mispronounce his name which i feel bad about even though i listen to podcasts i just it's one of those names that i struggle with sam vicini did i do it right sam
1: couldn't have done
0: it better joe how
1: you doing man
0: Sam Fasini, uh, again, writes about basketball over at The Athletic. He's the host of the Game Theory podcast. I'm doing well, buddy. It, it's been too long. I, I still check out your work. I've subscribed to The Athletic for a while now. Uh, still read your stuff, but I haven't had you on in a little bit. And obviously, the world has changed a good bit since you've been back on the podcast. How are you and yours doing?
1: Doing great, man. Just out here in Hollywood, you know, trying to, trying to stay sane in our apartment. But I think we're rolling right along. How are you doing, Joe?
0: I'm doing okay. You know, as an NBA blogger and in my day job as a teacher and a football coach, uh, my life has changed a good bit, but, you know, there's plenty of folks that have things a lot harder than me. So I try to keep that perspective. So I know you uh, have a limited amount of time, which makes sense. You're a popular and busy man. So I want to jump right into the article that you wrote. And obviously the NBA season is assuming uh, everybody is still full speed ahead here once the players opt out and that sort of thing. Uh, The season's about to resume. And over at The Athletic, you've done a great job kind of diving in to a lot of different prospects on teams. You've taken a look at how people fit in terms of their rookie scale contracts and that sort of thing. And you took a look at the Memphis Grizzlies most recently, came out literally about six or seven hours ago, Uh, and it was a really good read, I really enjoyed it, and you you really take a deep look into what makes John Moran so special Jaron Jackson and his development. And I want to talk to you about Jaron here in a moment, uh, because you said something really interesting in the piece, uh, and we'll also focus on in this podcast, the, the shooting guard position. And I know that, you know, that's an old school shooting guard. You know, there's wings and there's bigs and all that stuff. I get the position basketball. Uh, but, you know, between the Anthony Melton and Dylan Brooks, there's an interesting question to be asked that I want your take on. But just first off, before we get into all of that, if you could give folks and again, check out Sam's work over at The Athletic. Uh, what exactly are you looking at when you're doing these dives into these rookie scale players on uh, various teams?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at talent, uh, character, just who guys are. Uh, yeah, it's a broad question to ask. I think that uh, production certainly plays a role. There's uh, upside, you know, still unrealized upside. I think there are a lot of different pieces that go into something like this. Uh, and honestly, like, a big part of it is just and through tape. Like, for the story of the Grizzlies, like, part of it was, Am I allowed to curse on this podcast I, I yeah, as long as it's not that.
0: too intensive cursing, I'll allow okay. a word here or there,
1: <laughs> okay uh, i uh I mean i, I just I love this group, and I found myself just getting stuck into their game, like I would just like, pull up a game, you know, I think that, for instance, I watched one uh against Dallas, and I was just like okay, I can't turn this off now. I enjoy watching this team so much, and part of that is the players. Part of it is with John Morant and Jaron Jackson and D'Anthony Melton. Like, I love all these guys. Uh, Brandon Clark and Dylan Brooks, certainly. But, like, part of it is Taylor Jenkins. Like, I think Taylor Jenkins did an awesome job with this team this year. Uh, she early in the season, I think, was still trying to feel things out. But, you know, by December, something like that, they just hit overdrive and just said, Hey, job, we're putting it in your hands. Go, we're gonna play the Melton. We're gonna play two point guards. That you know, most of the time, it's not all the time, most of the time, I think is more reasonable with Tyus Jones as well. We're just gonna run when we get a chance and we're gonna shove it down the other team's throat, basically. And that made it super, super fun to watch. The team was great to watch. Like, I watched 12 of their games whenever I wrote this, like three weeks ago, and was just. I I loved it. I was so blown away with this Grizzlies team just in terms of how
0: fun it is. They are fun to watch. And again, Sam, we've had you on in the past. You know, GBB Live has been around for a while now, and you're you're a friend of the show. I I think it's safe to say at this stage it's just been a while. Um, When you've watched the Grizzlies, of course, you know, before John Morant came, you know, the unofficial end of the grit-and-grind era with Conley being traded, Uh, you could argue it ended a long time before that, but the – last of the core four is gone John Morant is drafted roughly a year ago and just how different this team is in terms of their style of play compared to what they were during the uh, the peak of grit and grind they're out they're running uh Taylor Jenkins prioritizes spacing you could argue he played play, uh in my opinion, inferior players to Kyle Anderson and Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill almost solely because they were willing to shoot threes, not even necessarily that they Mm -hmm. were efficient at shooting the three. It's because they were willing to do it or were willing to play within a certain way that others already on the roster were not. It's just such a direct, you know, flip from what they used to be to now, I think it was a shock to the system for a lot of Grizzlies fans. And I also think that so many people were so enamored with it. It almost makes you think that the team is better than it is. And I do caution people. I don't want to get hate tweets and things like that saying, Oh, Joe hates the Grizzlies. You know, they're so good. and, And he just hates, he loves to hate on the team. You know, they're 32 and 33, but it's very impressive that there's so many positive vibes around the franchise. Obviously, people thought they would be a lot worse than they are, and I think that's a major part of it. But why do you think, whether it's you, other national writers, there is not, you know, from Zach Kleiman in the young front office to Taylor Jenkins being the youngest head coach heading to Orlando for this restart. You know, for so much youth and energy with the Grizzlies, there's a lot of positivity Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because it's so different? Do you think it's because they've been able to take advantage of other teams' misfortunes? Is it a combination of things?
1: Yeah, you know, like even just at the start of what you said, like here, what is last in the NBA in terms of pay. Like forget even like the, you know, heyday, the grit and grind era. Like they played slow last year. So here is definitely a thing. I think that the reason, you know, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, right? But the reason that, I like this team as much as I do, and I like what they've built as much as I do, is that they have on finding, I'm trying to think of the word, like finding diamonds in the rough, like diamonds in the rough is like a little bit too, too strong, but like finding distressed assets is maybe the way to put it, right? Right, like Brandon Clark, who goes 21st overall in the draft, acquiring, Guys like uh, D. Anthony Melton just to take back Josh Jackson's contract. And then, oh, yeah, providing Josh Jackson with a sports system and forcing him to prove it in the G League, which is what at this point in his career he needed to have any chance or semblance of an NBA future. Uh, you know, taking a guy like John Concher, who uh, was a tremendous statistical anomaly in college basketball. But, you know, he really needs to improve the jump shot. He really needs to be a more willing shooter. Uh, really needs to just generally become more confident out there. I, I think it's just the way to put it. Like, he, it's not, he's just the perfect role player in many ways, and he's very happy to uh, keep the ball moving along. But he has more skill, I think, than what he's shown so far. Even taking a shot on a guy like Marco Guterich, who it, it just didn't work at the NBA level, right? I think he's probably likely to be back in Europe, you know, not this coming year, but the next year, just given how poorly he played this year for Memphis, unfortunately. Taking a shot on that guy is really interesting to me, just given that he was a uh, terrific European player. So I think that they have done an incredible job of taking advantage of distressed assets, in addition to obviously, you know, knocking their last two first round picks. Um,
0: yeah. And it's hard to give them too much credit for Ja Morant, obviously. I think most folks, except maybe New York, uh, yeah. probably would have taken John Morant at number two overall. And it pays to be lucky, uh, as Memphis was moving up in the lottery. But let's start with Ja because he was just like I said, it's been a, roughly a year. It was the one year anniversary over the weekend, I believe, of him getting drafted. And he really has you know, lived up to the hype and then some in, in terms of what he's capable of doing. You talked about how fast he is with the ball in his hands, and I do think that is so massively important when you talk about his effectiveness. My, I don't want to say it's a concern because he's so young, and obviously his peak is still ahead of him. What areas of his game as he gets older, and I'm thinking long-term here, which, again, it's what we do. Right now he's able to get past anybody in the NBA because he's so athletic, and he'll maintain that for a while. But Mother Nature's undefeated. It might be 10 years from now or whatever it might be, but eventually that won't be the case. What do you see in John Morant's game, even at a young age, that makes you think that he, as a basketball player, not just as an athlete, but as a basketball player, is really going to just get better in ter- as, as he adds skills to his uh, toolbox, so to speak?
1: Well, you know, we can talk about the athleticism, we can talk about uh, how fast he plays. Like to me, John Moran is probably one of the five fastest players in the NBA, but the bigger part is that he plays at his top speed more often than most players in addition to being fast. But even more important than that, I mean, this guy is a basketball genius, like he just is. He is absolutely a savant on the basketball court. Uh, Just the way that he sees the floor, the way that he knows how to read and react out of ball screen situations Just even like small stuff, like typically for NBA players, you never want to leave your feet before you have a decision in terms of what you're going to do. Is it going to be you're leaving your feet to shoot the ball, to take a floater, to take a shot at the rim? Uh, You're leaving your feet to create a passing angle. John Morant leaves his feet regularly, I think, without knowing exactly what he's going to do before he does it. Especially Absolutely. and because he has great hang time so we can go back to that but because he's also so incredibly reactive because he's so uh intelligent in terms of the way he sees the game it's something that works like this is not a skill that works for everyone like it's just a it's a small microcosm of how exceptional his reactivity and feel for the game is and why he's going to be a superstar Uh, for a long period of time, like, in terms of the, you know, stuff for improvement, like, honestly, I'm worried about injuries, like, he needs to figure out how to land better coming uh, from the basket, right? He needs to uh, learn how to knock down, pull up jumpers with a quicker uh, ball pickup and release, because a lot of the shots he makes now, it's not that he's a terrible shooter or anything, it's just that it's because the defense goes so far under a ball screen because he's so fast, you have to cut off that angle before he gets to the basket and gets into the middle of the defense that they do give him time to knock down shots. Once the once he gets into high-level, high-leverage playoff settings, like if they make the playoffs and have to play the Lakers, like Anthony Davis is going to be able to cut that off. He's going to be able to play him both uh, on the drive and on the pull-up jumper. He needs to be able to knock down that pull-up jumper with a quicker release and quicker ball pickup in order to take advantage of the way that defenses are gonna play him going forward. He also just needs to add a bit more of a pull-up in between game. Most of the time his in-between game is the floater and he's one of the best uh he's one of the best floaters in the NBA. I think that you can make a case that it's second in the NBA behind Trey Young. Um he needs more of a pull-up game, I think, because while we talk about the mid-range being dead, it's not really dead for high-usage guards like John Moran. Uh, at the end of shot clocks, you need to be able to knock down shots like that, and right now he's a bit deficient there, uh, even though he does supplement his in-between game with floater
0: game. Well, and you also need a counterpunch, right? You need the ability if you're John ja Morant and you're such a freak athlete and everybody collapses on you, that mid-range pull-up jumper, theoretically speaking, is going to be open. So you need to be able to yeah. knock that down as your counter to when people uh, start to collapse on you. We're chatting with Sam Vecini at Sam underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E on Twitter. If you don't already follow him, be sure you do so as soon as possible. You'll be a lot of, a, a lot smarter, excuse me about basketball if you do so he writes about the nba draft the nba college basketball all those fun things for the athletic he's also the host of the game theory podcast uh sam you talk about jaron jackson jr in your piece that we uh we were inspired to bring you on the show that you wrote and again check it out over at the athletic if you haven't already done so um you talk about jaron jackson jr and you mention how to you at this stage his offensive game is more impressive to you than his defensive game. Um, now, if you fast or excuse me, if you rewind two years, when Jaron Jackson Jr. was drafted, I was frustrated because the Grizzlies were still saying that they were trying to compete. Marcus Allen, Mike Conley were still on the team. They tried to rebrand uh, the team around Jaron and Javon Carter. Who else they took in that draft as like a rebirth of grit and grind, grit and grind 2.0, and that sort of thing with J.B. Bickerstaff as the head coach, and obviously that didn't work. Um, but my my overall question to you is: Given that so much of what people liked about Jaron at such a young age, and he's very young, and you talk about that in the piece, uh, was his defensive potential? But you talk about how in year two as a Grizzly or as an NBA player, you're more impressed with his offensive game than defensive. Uh, what makes you make that connection? Because I think I agree with you, especially when it comes to his fouling issue. But just the fact that he can hit threes at such a volume clip has been really impressive for a guy that's six foot eleven.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I posted there uh, on my Twitter, so it's not like I'm giving anything away just in the athletic article, right? But like, Jaren Jackson hit 39.7% of his threes this year while taking over six attempts per game. Uh, There have only been four other players in NBA history that have been able to do that in their first two seasons, and all of them, every single one of those four, have gone on to become one of the five best shooters in the world at one time. Uh, Kyle Corver, Sean Leonard, Duncan Robinson, and Clayton, right? Uh, Those four guys are absolutely ridiculous. Even if you reduce it down to five attempts per game, you're still just getting, like, shooting specialist wings, like Landry Shamit, Buddy Heald, Steve Mikhailov, like, what Jaron Jackson can do as a shooter is drastically different from what 99% can do. It's not just that he is efficient at knocking down those shots. It's that he can get them at volume. He can run off his, like, pin downs. He can, uh, you know, take flare screens. Like, they run a really nice set that like I mentioned in the piece where, like, they'll run a horn set where uh, – Ja will put it into Jaron Jackson. Jaron will give him the ball in a dribble handoff again, and then he'll run like off the flare screen set from the opposite elbow uh, by Yonas know, Alan units, and Ja will throw the, uh, throw the reversal right back to Jaron Jackson for an open three. Like the balance, the footwork, the dexterity that Jaron Jackson has to be able to get those shots off at volume is not normal in NBA center. Uh, it's not normal for even the uh, quote-unquote elite shooters at the center position. He's in a class of his own in being able to create three-point shots as a darn near seven-footer who I think still has tremendous upside defensively. I just don't think he's there yet.
0: He's not there yet. The fouls are an issue. He still needs to understand angles and leverage, and and how to get back under the basket. And you talk about other issues with uh, with Jaron's game and the piece. And you're right. Uh, you should subscribe to the Athletic if you don't already do so. Don't want to give it all away here. But uh, I agree with your assessment. Surprisingly, so in terms of his offense being ahead of his defense at this stage. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I have a couple more questions for Sam Vicini before we get out of here. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. I am without Parker Fleming for this episode because we had an opportunity to have a great guest on the show. We wanted to make everything line up in terms of recording and schedules. Sam Vecini of The Athletic. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Sam underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Sam, I'll get you out of here on these last couple of questions. First off, the last of that Um, The Holy Trinity, so to speak, of the Grizzlies young players that everybody talks about is the one guy that people, you know, kind of historically don't talk about. And that's Brandon Clark. You talk about that in your piece over the athletic when you're ranking these young players On the Grizzlies roster, Brandon Clark had one of the greatest statistical seasons in college basketball history. He does all of these things well that make him an elite role player type in the NBA. And yet he still fell to the Grizzlies to be able to trade up to acquire at number 21 overall in the 2019 NBA draft. And you say in your piece, and it's not a spoiler because it's true. He was the steal of that draft. And I agree with you completely. Uh, I think most folks would. I look at Brandon and... You know, we talked about Jaron's issues and whether or not he can be a true center down the road. It's hard to project that out this far because he's still so young. You know, Jaron and Jaw both are under the age of 21. They're the two leading scorers on the team. I think the last time a team made the playoffs that had that setup, it was Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So th- that's a good, good company to be in, uh, going back to the Oklahoma City Thunder days. Um, but when you look at Brandon Clark and you see what he brings to the table – He's really good as an athlete. He can finish at the rim effectively. He's a better rim protector than he gets credit for, despite his size. But do you see a long-term fit with those three guys sticking together in Memphis? You know, Jaw obviously being the guard, Jaron being the the big that can hit the three. The pick and pop game theoretically will become a nightmare for NBA teams between those two. The pick and roll game between Jaw and Brandon should be similar. But do you think Brandon Clark does enough as a rebounder, as a defender, as a offensive player in terms of growth? Because Brandon is much older, at least in terms of a few years older than Jaron and Jaw. Do you think Brandon fits long term with the Grizzlies or do you see him as somebody that they can use? Remember, Memphis has the 2024 Golden State Warriors pick from the Iguodala trade. They have the 2022 Utah Jazz pick with protections uh, from the Mike Conley trade is it possible that Clark could be the young player sweetener to bring in a elite scoring level wing down the road for the Grizzlies?
1: That's not how I would use them. I think it's possible, but I think the fit between Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson is seamless. Like you said, like Brandon Clark is morphing into one of the better pick and roll players in the NBA. In my opinion, he's going to get there at some point. And Jaren is going to be able to like just mesh really really well with that in my opinion. Uh, you look at you can just pop Jaren in the corner on Clark Morant pick and roll action, and you can force a tagger into a miserable, absolutely shitty situation in terms of figuring out who he has to defend. Does he tag on to Clark in order to stop the dunk? Or does he leave Jaron Jackson, 40% three-point shooter, who is terrific and has a really quick release, open? That's kind of a miserable problem for defenses to, pro- to have to solve. I think both of them have enough mobility to be able to get it done defensively. Obviously, those two at some point could uh, form you know, an impenetrable wall with the rim. They can both protect the weak side of the rim. especially. Uh, Jaron, I think a lot of this, my one concern would be that with Jaron, a lot of, everything revolves around his ability to become a good defensive rebounder. He's not a good defensive rebounder. We can just call it what it is, right? I think he's actually pretty bad. I think the numbers might be somewhat understated because he played a lot of minutes with Jonas Alchunas, who's one of the better rebounders in the NBA. But consistently throughout the course of his career, from high school to college to first few years in the NBA, Jaron has not been a particularly good rebounder. Uh, to play the center, he's going to have to be able to end possession. And as soon as he does start to end possession, I feel okay. I, I feel I feel like that is going to be a combination that works exceptionally well at some point uh, in their careers. They're just going to have to find wings. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but uh, I don't know that I would sell Brandon at the expense of finding a way.
0: What do you think? Because I've asked this question to other guests on, in the past, just hypothetically speaking, take two first round picks because Memphis was able to acquire two. So, whichever, you know, it might be Grizzlies future picks, it could be the Utah and Warriors ones. Uh, just two future firsts uh, Brandon Clark and cap filler, you know, say maybe it's the last year of Jonas Valanciunas, maybe Gorgie Dang's contract next year is an expiring deal might be a better example. What type of a player at this stage would you say that could even get you? You know, people like to have the Bradley Beal versus Devin Booker debate. I live in the Washington DC area. I don't think that would get you Bradley Beal the way that the Wizards view Beal, uh, depending on what happens with Phoenix and Devin Booker. Maybe I, I'm curious as to your perspective, what the value, let's say Jiang for the sake of argument, uh, Brandon Clark in two firsts, what does that get you? And is, is, that, is that even worth considering for the Grizzlies, considering how just in a year they've built up cap flexibility and these draft assets?
1: I would argue that it would not get you Bradley Beal, it would not get you Devin Booker. These two way wins that Memphis needs now to find are among the most difficult players to find in today's NBA. Assuming we're limiting it to that position, I mean, I, I don't really see one that's out on the marketplace right now that lines up with that valuation. You could maybe, in theory, tell me that if Giannis was to leave Milwaukee, that they could look to move Chris Middleton. And maybe that gets you in the ballpark for Middleton, but that's a ways of a way off and wholly speculative based off of like Giannis Leaving. And I don't know that Giannis leaving is necessarily the favored outcome right now. So I, I think it's really, really difficult. Like, I think that's probably too much for Bradley or for Buddy Healed. Like, you could maybe make a case to me that like, it would be worth doing Brandon, Filler and Up first for Healed. But, like, I don't even know that I want that. Like, maybe, like, Brandon and Filler for Healed, Just because they so desperately need shooting, but it, you know, like, that's that's a backcourt of Buddy Heald and John Morant and That probably doesn't work defensively. Um, Yeah, I I don't know that I'm seeing an outcome here that totally makes sense across the board, to be honest, in terms of finding a two-way way.
0: I think that's fair. Uh, We had Matt Hardlicka who used to write for us over at GBB. He has a Patreon page. Now Uh, we had him on as a guest. uh, I I believe it was the last time we recorded and he brought up Chris Middleton too. So that's funny that you said the same thing. I think that's, that's actually a a good idea. He also mentioned, you know, in terms of, and I I don't want to misquote. It could have been the athletic or somewhere else. I think it was Hollinger, uh, maybe talking about the best and worst contracts on the books right now. And, and Mm -hmm. they mentioned Clay Thompson, maybe being a bad contract and, that may not be so bad to the Grizzlies, so maybe that kind of package uh, could could get you somebody like a Clay Thompson in theory. If things continue to go south for the Warriors,
1: yeah, John, John wrote that, and I love John uh, so much. One of the people in the last year, I'm very happy to have created more of a relationship with. Um, I, I disagree with that assessment of Clay Thompson being like drastically underwater.
0: I think that's probably fair too. I I would imagine if he comes back and is that three, you know, three point monster that he is while being able to defend and switch on the perimeter, there's a lot of value there. Uh, We're finishing up here with Sam Vecini at Sam underscore V E C E N I E. If you don't already follow him on Twitter, you should, he writes for the athletic. He wrote about the Grizzlies and we're going to get him out of here on this. Uh, You wrote about both Dylan Brooks and D'Anthony Melton in your piece. Uh, You put a price tag in Restricted Free Agency on DeAnthony Melton, somebody like Atlanta, uh, credit to Peachtree Hoops. We talked about this article a while ago here on the podcast, and you mirrored exactly what they said uh, that the Peachtree Hoops guys would offer. Four years, $50 million. That felt like a lot to us because of what the limits of DeAnthony as a scorer are right now. But at the same time, in theory, you have Dylan Brooks on the roster who could be that scorer. So let's say you do just that. Sam, and you sign the Anthony Milton to a four year, $50 million contract. You have Dylan Brooks under contract that pretty much limits. uh, I guess essentially that would be 12 and you got about $25 million a year on average invested in two players. My question to you to end us, our time here is the same as our question of the day that I asked over at SBN Grizzlies. Uh, We all, whenever we record a podcast, we do a question of the day. And the question of the day was, is the combo of Dylan Brooks and D'Anthony Melton, as well as Grayson Allen, assuming he sticks around, has the two guard enough long-term for Memphis to contend? Because you assume Justice Winslow will be that versatile defending wing who can facilitate offense. Is Brooks and Melton and Grayson and Allen enough? Uh, Thanks to the over 80 folks that voted in a short-term poll, no more is needed there. What was the general consensus? 59.5%, 405 thought that was enough. I'll pose the same question to you. Given what Memphis has right now, assuming there is no big trade, is the combination of Melton and Brooks especially enough to help the Grizzlies continue to progress back into being contenders?
1: <laughs> can, I, can I give a bit of a cop out and say it depends what they do at the three position? Like, I think there's a world where Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Melton are enough, but I think that they would need to augment those players with a very strong player at the three. Now, on DeAnthony, it's interesting because if I was the Grizzlies, I don't know that I would pay something like $4.50 for DeAnthony, the flexibility a little bit more. But with the Hawks, like, that's the team I mentioned specifically. I think there's a pretty real case because the Anthony is like genuinely exactly what Atlanta needs because they need a backup point card, uh, a guy who can handle that position. They need someone who can play defensively with either Trey Young or Kevin Herter. They need someone who can push in transition like the Anthony has become so good at. Like, for me, like, that contract makes a lot of sense for Atlanta because he's like a very genuine missing piece for them. With Memphis, they have Pius already taking up the backup point guard position. They need shooting because Justice Winslow was just acquired and because John Morant is still not, like, a wildly confident shooter. I don't know that I would be personally willing to go as high as I would be if I was Atlanta as I am Memphis on a Melton contract, which I think – makes it an interesting spot at least let's say for Atlanta or for uh, Memphis going forward with
0: he's definitely an intriguing player and i'm and I'm right. intrigued. Especially by you saying that you see him as a backup point guard. After watching him this year with the Grizzlies, I see him as not very good in that role. I like him as a secondary facilitator on the wing. He obviously isn't that strong of a shooter, but he does a little bit of everything really well, especially playing in transition, which you allude to. Atlanta would maybe be
1: I agree with you on that, but that's his best position.
0: So it would really be interesting to see if Atlanta was able to turn him into something a little bit more than that. We'll get you out of here on this, Sam, and I know that you're in a time crunch, so this could be a short answer. The Grizzlies are three and a half games up on their closest competition heading into the Orlando bubble. Everybody that listens to this podcast probably knows how the play-in situation is going to work. If they're within the four games, there's a play in. If the Grizzlies stay at the eight seed, they need to be beaten twice to be kicked out of the playoffs. They can just beat the nine seed once. Uh, what do you think Memphis is going to look like coming out of the Orlando bubble, assuming everybody opts into playing? I haven't had a chance to check and see if anybody's opted out of note uh, since we started recording. Do you think the Grizzlies are going to wind up as that eight seed, or does somebody like the Pelicans or Trailblazers knock them off?
1: Yeah, I think it's very likely that Memphis gets the eight seed with eight games to go, right? Uh, It's by far the most likely outcome. Um, I I understand that Memphis has a bit harder of a schedule than what New Orleans does, but yeah, I think it's too much to overcome. Realistically, Memphis goes four and four. They definitely get that spot. They go three and five. I think it's pretty... I don't want to say it's like 100% they get that spot, but I think they have a chance even at 3-5 and five to get that spot. So, like, me personally, I think that they're going to be fine. I think they are going to make the playoffs. And I do think they're probably going to get swept by the Lakers in the first round because the Lakers are just a behemoth, and LeBron is not going to mess around. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that Memphis making the playoffs this year would be a really great outcome, and I think I anticipate them doing that, yeah
0: icing on the cake it would be icing on the cake because if we're going by preseason projections the Grizzlies shouldn't even be going to Orlando to be part of the bubble in the first place Sam thank you so much for your time it's appreciated and of course we'll have you back on down the line all right everybody for Sam Fassini, I am your host Joe Molinax. we'll have another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live this week thank you guys for listening we'll be back later on this week with another show until then grind forth Grizz Nation this is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. <music>